Okay, Andrew, you ready, bud? All right, Andrew's coming up. He's gonna bring the word. Um, man, I could say so much about Andrew. I have been so personally blessed by my relationship with Andrew and his wife, Dira. Um, beyond anything they do here at the church, they're just, they're good friends to us. They breathe life and encouragement in, into me and Amy. And we're just so grateful for you guys. Um, Andrew and his wife epitomize the picture of servant leadership. They are, they are true servants here in the body. They lead a life group with Franz and Anna. Um, Andrew serves in the kids' ministry all the time. Um, he's poured into the lives of my children, which I am really grateful for. He faithfully serves as a deacon here, um, just an awesome young man of God. And so I'm grateful that we get to hear from him today. And so let's pray together for Andrew and let's pray for our own hearts that we would hear and receive what the Lord has for us. So God, we lift up our friend to you. Would you fill him with your presence? Give him clarity of thought and boldness in his speech. God, that he could share from his heart what you have for us today. And Lord, help us to, to hear and understand Andrew, but more than that, Lord, may we hear your voice as you speak to our hearts today. And may we be ready to respond to you and what you have for us. God, we commit our hearts to you. We commit Andrew to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Check, check, we're good. <laughs> How are you guys doing? It's good to see y'all. Man, worship was sweet. Thank you, Alex and Crystal. It was so good. Um, well, first, I'll start off with asking a show of hands. Who has a calling, and then out of that calling that they felt a dream get stirred up? Who has ever felt called to anything or had a dream for anything? Okay, yep, me too. All right, so you can put your hands down. Who, who's carrying a promise that God has made to them? Anybody? Yes. Um, so, okay, who is still waiting for those things to happen? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're probably all waiting and dreaming for something. Um, so we're in good company. Um, and we're probably all holding on to something that hasn't happened yet. Um, so in, in the Bible as well, there's loads of situations and people that we're waiting on something. So to name a few, Abraham waited for a son, Jacob waited for Rachel, Joseph waited for his dreams to come to pass and his family restored. Mary waited on the promised Messiah, even when he was a, a wee lad, like she, she was waiting for that promise and Jesus waited to begin his ministry and now he's waiting to return. So there's a whole lot of waiting going on all throughout the scriptures. Um, and uh, I fought the Lord for like two months on this sermon. <laughs> I, I did not, I did not want to do this one. I was like, Lord, no. <laughs> um, and I, I even, I was joking with Jake there like a month ago, I like woke up at like 2 AM and basically wrote down a whole different sermon. I was like, yeah, Lord, let this be it. That I was up at 2 AM and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, like he's just sitting there and, so anyway, I lost the wrestling match. Obviously, it was this last week that I conceded. And um, uh, for timing's sake, I spent a lot of time Friday and Saturday on it. So <laughs> I could have been more prepared if I wasn't stubborn. So, um, <laughs> so today I wanted to talk, I want to talk about what to do in the waiting, what to do in the waiting 
You're waiting on to see your dreams fulfilled. You're waiting to operate in your calling. Um, you're waiting for promises to be fulfilled. Um, so I want to talk about what to do, what, what we are called to do or what we're supposed to do in the waiting. Um, we're going to look at the life of Joseph and what he did between age 17 all the way to 30 when he, when he became to rise up in power and things like that. But first, um, I'll start off with being, um, giving you all a little nutshell about my life. So throughout what I'm saying, I'll, I'll kind of pepper in throughout this morning of successes that I've had and failures that I've had and, and where I, you know, where I have landed today and where I'm at currently. So, um, yeah, for the past 16 years, in a nutshell for me, I've been holding on to a dream and a call. Um, I'd mentioned last time I was up here that I got saved in a youth retreat up in Gatlinburg. And, um, and after I had made that decision to say yes to the Lord, uh, immediately following, the next thing that I heard was, I'm calling you to be my missionary. And I was like, whoa. And, and I mean, specifically foreign missionary. I mean, we're all called to make disciples and all that, but, but, def, but felt called to, to foreign ministry and foreign, being a foreign missionary. And I was like, okay. Um, obviously that's very vague. And so, and I just got really, to me and my, that, in my heart, just saved. I mean, I grew up in the church, but that, that's the moment that it got real for me. Um, so, so yeah, for age 14, that was then. Called to be a missionary. Um, I went on a couple of different mission trips in high school and, and things like that. And just, you know, it, it cemented in the, like, yes, okay, this is what I was born for. Um, I remember painting, painting a house in Nicaragua as like a 16-year-old. And it was like one of those moments where time slowed down and I was like painting the wall and then like, just like kind of like, Ah, like, like, this is what you were born for. Not to paint houses, but <laughs> please, Lord, not to paint houses. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's, you know, that's when I was learning and growing. I was learning who the Lord was, learning who I was in him. And then if you fast forward to age 20, um, I, was, I was living in California at the time. And I, I knew I was called to be a missionary that's very vague. There's a lot of different things you can do as a missionary. So, um, so one night I was at a conference out in Reading and the leader, um, asked whoever he, he was speaking, whoever is called to be a leader, I'd like you to stand up. And I stood up and he prayed and, um, this'll be, you know, I just want to share with you what I saw, but, um, up until that point, I had no clue what I was supposed to do. Um, but he said, whoever's called to be a leader, stand up. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes and shows you what your, your future spheres of influence are. Um, and so I stood up and I held out my hands. And I remember seeing this picture form in my mind with my eyes closed of me standing in a field represented, or a field with youth of, uh, representing all ethnicities. And the Lord said, raise up the youth of the nations. And then it split. And I, um, you know, sparing some details because there's some kids in here, but um, basically seeing what it looks like to, to rescue women and children from trafficking. And, and that's a very like, you know, two different worlds, but, you know, they do in, intermingle in a way. But, um, and then I just saw um, 
like droves of African women's faces, Indonesian women's faces, and Chinese women's faces. Um, and, and it was at the point where I had never met anyone from Indonesia and that middle people group, I'm like, Lord, who was that? Like, I, I know that are obviously Asian, but who is that? And then, and, and then he said, it's Indonesia. And I said, like, are these the places that I'm supposed to go? And like, it was just this very specific download in that moment. It was a really powerful encounter. And that started me like chasing after this thing. And that was in 2010. Um, so, so I felt like those are the three places that I felt called to and led to. And then within that same year, I wound up in Mozambique, Africa in a missions training school. And then after that, I had lived there for a total of two years, you know, coming back and forth, dealing with visas and all that. Um, met my wife down there who happened to be from, or happens to be from Indonesia. So she was called to the same things when I met her. And I mean, that was another dream in itself. I was really desperate for a wife and I was like, Lord, don't let me do it alone and all that stuff. But thankful, thankful for my wife. So, um, so that's, that's kind of like, boom, like, okay, how the heck is any of that going to happen? Like I, that's so much bigger than me. That's in, and throughout the two years of being in Africa, the Lord elaborated on a lot of it with a lot of things. And I'm just like, man, God, this is so much bigger than myself. I have no idea even where to start. Um, and it's not like I've had tons of experience, like, you know, rescuing and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's just, it, it was, it was a lot. And then, but anyway, so I was in Africa. My Dira was ministering to, to women, um, basically situations of like babies having babies, single moms, widows. She would minister to them on a daily basis. And I was a house dad and I would minister to boys aging from 11 to 18. And so we were doing that. Um, we met, we started dating, got married here in Knoxville and then moved back. And then this was around, I was, I think I was like 22 at the time. We went back in literally two weeks and we had full on moved there. We're like, okay, it's, it's time for Africa. Let's do this. I don't know what's next, but we're here and we're going to be here for who knows when. And within two weeks of being there, Dira gets really, really sick. And, um, and then it just, I mean, we were to the point where she would walk from here to here and look like she'd ran a marathon and she would pass out. And she spent literally the next two months basically in bed. Um, and we had just gotten married at the time. This is the same year we got married. The clinical staff down there didn't know what was going on. They had minimal ways to test it, even though we had doctors and nurses, like they just, they didn't have the means to figure out what was going on. Um, so pray, pressed in for healing and all this stuff and she wasn't getting any better. And so I came to a point where I'm like, I've got to make a decision to take care of my wife, but I feel like that is going to take us away from this nation or from Mozambique where we felt called to. And so I went in tears to the leader of the ministry um, and, and said, I don't want to bail, but I feel like I have to take care of my wife and I feel like I have to leave. And so literally in that moment, like it was like a nice watercolor painting this and that's going to happen. And then that is going to happen. And then that's going to happen. And the Lord with the big five gallon bucket just went and it just washed all the paint 
and it didn't make sense. And so from there, we took an emergency flight to England and then, it, you know, long story after that of what happened. But, um, but essentially I was left, I didn't know what was next. I was like, what, all of these things were lining up and it was going well and all these things. And then, and then this happened. Um, and then from age 22 to now, um, it has been a process of me learning to wait, us learning, me and Dara learning to wait, um, to hold tight to the promise that he gave us, gave me back in 2010, and ultimately learning to choose him above it all. Um, and that's currently where I'm at. Still waiting for Indonesia and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, this is, this is where I've landed. And um, we went through a crazy, after England happened, our son Asher was born there. So, I mean, this kid could have three citizenships if he wanted to. <laughs> he's going to be, he's, he's so cool. Um, so, I mean, we went, after that, we went through, and I'm not, you know, for time's sake, I'm not going to go into a crazy amount of detail, but I had to leave England because I can't work there. So coming, we, we were moving back to the States. At that point, I had not been in one place longer than a year for six years, and I was exhausted. And, and Dara was as well. So we're like, okay, let's put, put down some roots and, and be here for a while. Well, we flew into the States and then we didn't know the process of getting a green card for her. She had a valid visitor's visa. And at the border, we were ripped apart and she was sent back to England with Asher, my three month old at the time. Um, and then I was stranded in Detroit, never been there, don't know anyone there. Um, I always joke, I'm like, the first take was probably, first mistake was probably flying into Detroit. I feel like in Atlanta, they might've been a, more, been a little bit more hospita- hospitable and, and, and receiving, I don't know, but it's just, it's just a joke. But I was stranded in Detroit and that started a year and a half to two years, like worst season of my life. So again, the watercolor painting got mixed up. We didn't know what was going on. And then really didn't know what was going on when I'm watching my son grow up over a computer screen and I didn't agree to it. I wasn't mentally prepared and all these things. So there, there I was. And, um, that's through the story that we're going to read today. That's, I've kind of found myself in Joseph in a lot of ways throughout different seasons of, you know, from 20, age 22 till now, 30, (laughs) um, but I know that we all have stories. I know we all have trials and I know we've all are, we're all waiting for something. Um, and and when, I, when I share this, when, I, when we dive into Joseph's story, like I hope that you guys can find yourself there and that the Lord encourages you and that you, you take something out of it. Um, because I'm just telling you about my little life and what the Lord could do with a yes, lay it on the table. And I hope you guys can see, you know, that's there for you as well but I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll dive in. Jesus, we, um, we love you. We adore you. God, um, I thank you that you are intricately involved into all of our nutshells of stories and um, our, our lives and that collectively, I'm just thankful for this body. I thank you that, that we are linked together for this city and for your purposes and Lord, I thank you that we all have callings and we all have dreams, whether we realize it or not, and whether we know what it is yet, have details, whatever, wherever we find ourselves this morning. 
God, I thank you that you never leave us. You never forget your promises. And you're very, very near, closer than we could ever possibly imagine or think. So just as the song that we sang this morning, God, would you keep the fire and the flame alive in our hearts that we would burn forever like this and that we would go out into the world and we could see, we could just partner with you on a day-to-day basis, getting closer and closer to you and, and, and because you're the ultimate aim for everything, Jesus. Thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, come this place. Um, I pray that people see you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, really long intro, but here we are. So if you were to title this sermon, it would be Callings, Dreams, and Promises, or Keeping the Dream Alive, or whatever. But we're going to look at and see how Joseph kept that alive in his heart um, and what he did in the waiting. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37, verses 1. We're going to read 1 through 11. And let me take a swig here. I need to learn to like not sing as loud if I'm going to be up here talking. Um, But uh, okay, so verse one, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of, he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And I'll pause right here. I know this is familiar, but just jump here with me. I know we've all heard this story before, but really think about and try to picture the scene. Um, So now Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around, gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he had told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So I'm gonna pause for like 10 seconds and just close your eyes and think of that situation of them, him in the fields, they're hot and sweaty. Joseph came and said, hey guys, I have a dream. And then he has another dream and he went to tell his father and it was kind of a mess, messy situation. So going from that, now that you guys can see the scene, like, so God showed up and he gave Joseph two prophetic dreams, meaning of like, he's, he's looking into the future at, at his life. Um, and he receives his calling to rule and to reign. And, you know, his delivery needed work. 
didn't really work out for him very well. Like, just the timing is like, they're out there in the fields and he's in his robe and he's like, hey guys, hey guys, I got a dream. And then they're like, I don't care. We don't like you anyway. Um, but so yeah, Joseph's delivery was off. It was an awesome moment where the Lord gave him this picture, but he, he didn't know what to do with it. He was just probably too excited and, and zealous and not really thinking about his timing and who he's talking to. So I put it on my notes, and if you guys look at them later, you know, that his timing was kind of off and that also he needs to be paying attention to the counsel he keeps because I don't really think immediately going to his brothers was like the best choice. I mean, we'll see, and you guys know it obviously worked out and God, had, God was doing something, but none of those are really stellar reactions to any of those dreams. I mean, even his dad was like, you know, who you'd think, oh yeah, J Jacob would totally react fine. But he's like, excuse me, like you want your, me and your mom and your brothers to do that. But at the end, pay attention to verse 11. It says his father kept the saying in mind. So Joseph's discerning father, like he, he, even though he was frustrated and his reaction was kind of off at first, he knew God was up to something. I, I, I believe that. When I read that, I was like, man, he, yeah, Jacob knew he knew God was, he was like, man, there's something to that, even though I'm frustrated. Um, and a little side note, and just because, you know, I'm a dad and, and I see my kids growing up and like, we have to be, whether you have kids or not, whether you're like spiritual father and mothers to kids and, and whatever, wherever you find yourself, um, we've got to allow ourselves to be discerning fathers and mothers when our kids start to dream and we have to be ready to steward that. And, and it could go into people who you're discipling and it doesn't have to be a kid, but we've got to be fathers and mothers that are willing to steward what our kids bring to us. Um, and that's just a side note for a sermon for another day. But um, if you go uh, to verses 12 through 36, this is when, um, and I'll paraphrase this, I'm not going to read it all. Um, but this is when Joseph was sold by his brothers. So the dreams happen, things, they were frustrated. The brothers were upset. Um, so in verses 12 through 17, Joseph went to check on his bros. And then while he was going there in verses 18 to 24, they conspired against him. And they're like, we've got to do something. And eventually led to them throwing him in the pit, as you guys know. Um, and then 25 through 28, that's when the caravan came by and they, they picked him out of the pit and then they sold him uh, to make for, to, for a profit. And then after that, verses 29 through 36, that's when they came to Jacob and said, hey, Joseph was mauled, he's, he's gone, he's dead. And then Jacob's heart was, eventually, was broken. So that's... That's the sequence of events. After Joseph received the dreams, that didn't go well after he told them. Not only did it not go well, it came to the point where, where now he was sold into slavery. His dad thinks he's dead and he's in the, this caravan, probably shackled up or caged up or whatever, all the while having this image in the forefront of his mind of his dreams and his calling, and he doesn't know what to do with it. His family rejected it. He's, in a, he's a slave now, and that's where he, that's, that's his current circumstance. So just sit there and, and 
try to draw your, your mind away from the felt board in Sunday school, but like real, like think about how devastating that must have been for Joseph. Like that is heart-wrenching um, for a 17-year-old kid to feel rejected, have a genuine experience from the Lord and not know what to do with it. But his brothers who are the closest to him now betrayed him and put him and sold him into slavery. And so that's where he's left. I mean, that's, that's, that's awful. That is absolutely awful. Um, so that, that's kind of where, and I wasn't in slavery by any means, and it didn't look the same, but I, I think back to that moment in Africa where deer was sick and we had to, like, we had to make the choice to move or to leave. And I mean, when that happened, it was nuts. We had zero money in our bank account. We prayed for a specific amount. Five minutes later, her brother texts us, says, hey, this woman here in England wants to give. They said, name your price. And then by the end of the night, we had a plane ticket and we were gone by 1 p.m. the next day. So like whirlwind, we're gone. And, and, and we were just like, our hearts were just ripped out of our chest, essentially. Um, so when I, we got to England, I'm, you know, obviously focused on getting Dira situated and feeling better. And I mean, that started a really long process of her being sick and us not having answers. Um, I mean, almost an f- entire year of our first marriage, she was bedridden and I prayed harder then than I think I've ever prayed for anything. Um, and, you know, I know you say for sickness and health, but like, didn't know it was going to end up, but, uh, I'm, I mean, it was, it was a crazy time. It was really, really rough. Um, but after I got her situated, I started looking at our current scenario where we're broke. We're in our first year of marriage and I'm staying at my in-laws house in England where I can't not, I can't get a job because I have a visitor's visa. And so I'm like, do we prepare to go back to Africa or do, what do I do here? And I'll get into that a little bit later, but the main point was I was not, I was so, I was unraveling. I was devastated. And my, I was, my whole get up was just, I was shaken to the core through all of these scenarios. And literally guys, it wasn't until 2018 where me and Dira holding on to this dream for Indonesia, believing for all these things. And we've had so many moments that are like, oh, maybe now, no. Oh, maybe now, no. And like so frustrating through the years, but literally we came to this point that we were sitting on our couch, weeping at the end of ourselves saying, Lord, I can't hold this anymore. It's getting so heavy to bear this dream and this calling. And then all of a sudden we just got to a point where we're like, but God, we want you more than we want our calling. We want you and we want to be where you are. We want what you want. And it doesn't matter what we feel called to because you gave it to us anyway. And you're faithful to carry it out no matter what the circumstance looks like, no matter if I'm doing the thing that I feel called to or not. I'm, I've been stuck in a bank for five years. I grew up hating math. Like, like I mean, my I don't like the current circumstance, but I want him. And I've chose to say yes to him, even in these moments. And literally that's the reason back when I was age 22, where I was unraveling because my identity was wrapped up in my calling, not the dream giver, not the call giver, like not the one who is the one. 
that's why I was so unraveling. Like, because my, my ground, I was not standing on the solid ground, the, you know, Christ, the rock in which I stand. Like I was standing in the future of what hasn't happened yet and the calling and the dreams that I've had. And that's why I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to deal with any of it because my identity was not where it needed to be. Um, so, okay, jump to Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6. That's where we're going to be. So, um, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. An Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Key verse, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of of his Egyptian master and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he had made him an overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. That's the life. <laughs> but so the key verse, verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. So he sold as into a, you know, slavery and he's a servant in this officer's house And because Joseph remained faithful to God, the Lord was with him. He had favor, he he had success. And And I think it's worth mentioning that sometimes your success in the waiting might look like somebody else succeeding around you. The Potiphar, his whole house was, was, you know, awesome. Like everything was fine. His crops were fine. Everything was fine because Joseph remained faithful. And Joseph's sitting here like, man, I'm still a servant. I'm still like in, in this house, but yet my master is flourishing. So sometimes your success is going to look like other people's successes in the waiting, which is tough. But, but the Lord, I mean, it's just, the Lord showed up so many times, even in that moment. And I feel like we can rush past that part a lot because we know the story. But anyway, regardless, things were looking up for Joseph. In verses 7 through 20, Joseph still remains faithful to God. And, and we all, know this, we all this, know this part, but it's when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. And, and, and you all know what happens after that. But in verses 8, Joseph said, he's, but he, or Joseph, he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, so this, I mean, day after day, this was trying, she was trying to do this, but he, he would not listen to her and he wouldn't 
you know, commit to that. He would not say yes to that. So he remains faithful, even in, even in the moment where he's a servant, he's seen these dreams of him ruling and reigning, and now he's trying to be seduced by his master's wife. And he's like, but yet he's like, how could I sin against the Lord like this? So, you know, after that happened, Potiphar's wife lied, which led to Potiphar throwing Joseph in prison. So everything was looking up and then wham, like Potiphar's wife comes out of nowhere and day after day torments him into the point where, you know, circumstances, he's, he's, found, that he's found himself in prison. So all those trials led him into an even gloomier spot. Um, and just imagine how that felt like the turmoil and confusion and being alone, et cetera, et cetera. Like that was, that must have been awful. But yet in verses 21 through 23, we see that even then Joseph remained faithful. Even then Joseph remained faithful. But the, and it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And, he, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison and whatever was done there, he, has, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And again, but the Lord was with Joseph even in prison, he's still waiting. Like Joseph's still waiting for that thing that he saw when he was 17. And it didn't look like a prison cell. And so through all these trials, Joseph remained faithful to God and he allowed himself to be used by God no matter where he was. He made the choice to use his gifts, his God-given gifts and talents to be active in the waiting. To, to step up and not be overcome with frustration and anger, even though I'm sure he dealt with all of that. But that's what, that's what I like to call active waiting. And I feel like that's where there, there's something to get out of that for us here right now today on Sunday in Knoxville. Like there's, there, there are things that we, there are people, as we've talked in the previous series, the hidden kingdom, like there's, there's people around us right now in our immediate spheres of influence that we have been put right here, right now for. In, in Genesis 40 through chapter 41, one through 36, we see that. We see Joseph practicing his, practicing his gift of interpreting dreams. Still waiting, still in prison, and still faithful to God. It, and, and he's not sitting on the sidelines. He's not, he's not passive by any means. Like, and it, like I said, I'm sure he had his days because I mean, it doesn't tell us his thought process. He doesn't tell us any, any of the, like what, his, what he was thinking, but you know, there were days that he was in prison just like, oh, this is awful. And, and like, he wasn't, he didn't, you know, he had bad days. He's a human but he never let go of the dream giver. Never let go, not once. He's remained faithful through this whole time to the one who never forgets his promises. Never, not once has God forgot, forgotten what he had said. And in the time of slavery and imprisonment, because he chose to be active in the waiting, his God-given gift was strengthened. 
and godly character was formed. So in most cases, guys, like if God immediately gave us our dreams, we couldn't handle it. We wouldn't be ready for it. And I mean, I look back to where I was age 20, like, I mean, I was in Africa, I was doing it. But then when all that happened, that brought forth so many things that needed to be worked on in my heart. And, and Joseph's slavery, there were so many things throughout that time that I guarantee like he had to get worked on. Like even, even in prison, like him, him being faithful and remaining faithful in that moment, that, that produced godly character. Um, I mean, think about what 2020 was for Grace Chapel. Like Jake and Alex and, their, and, and Crystal and Amy, like they've led and pastored for a long time before they were here. And they've been in it before they were here. If they didn't give themselves and be remaining faithful in times of trials before they even wound up in Knoxville, I don't know what 2020 would have looked like for this church. The stuff that we had to go through as a body and in finding ourselves here now, it was because they said yes a long time ago. And, and here we are now, and I, we've benefited from their gifts and godly character. Um, thank you guys for everything that you've done through 2020. Thank you. Thank you. So because of the character developed in, in prison, he was prepared to minister to the ruler of the land. Guys, like the word character might seem mundane, but like wisdom and direction is birthed out of receiving godly character. Like it gets, it gets pushed by, past, it doesn't get paid attention to, but it's vital. It is vital to our life as, as Christ followers. So he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. We've heard that story many a times. I think I read it to my daughter last week, but, um, but, but he did that because he was ready. He spent years in prison and have, honing his gift and, and practicing, his, practicing his gift. And because of the character that was developed, he was able to give wisdom and direction and the next steps to the ruler of the land and the rest of Egypt. Man, like that's huge. And, and like, I've, I've found myself like realizing like, man, throughout this time, like God is up to something. I mean, I'm able to stand here now and look back at all those years. It, it was terrible in the time, but God is doing something in your life right now, right now in the waiting. So in 40, 41, verses 32 through 36, we see, we see that wisdom on display. We see, we see Joseph sharing to Pharaoh what needs to be done. So it says in verse 32, and, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will short, shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt and let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, take one fifth of the produce. And then it goes on just to say like, I mean, Joseph is setting the stage of what needs to be done to prep for these years of of, of, of harvest and then years of famine. And, um, and, then, and then Pharaoh's like, well, 
you're my guy then, because that's amazing. And because he chose to be active in the waiting in prison, was he able to minister to the rulers of the land? And you guys in this room might minister to governors, local whoever, all the way up into DC. Like, I mean, you, and, and you have to have the character and the wisdom to do that. And we don't just like wake up and that happens. I mean, by this time, Joseph has been through a lot. So Russian past here, this is so much to pack in. But basically after that, Genesis 41, Joseph rises to power, age 30. He waited 13 years, guys, from age 17 till he rose to power. Then he started partaking of the blessing of walking and living out his dream. He's got a wife and kids. And then we're like, oh, this is so awesome. And then God shows off even more. And the thing that doesn't really get talked about a lot is the fact that Joseph's family was restored. So even in his vision back at 17, like, he, he saw his family bowing down to him. Well, there was unity in that moment. There was there, like, if you picture that, that means they're all unified bowing down to Joseph. And I don't even know if he realized it, but in the scripture it says, but he remembered that moment when he, when he saw them, when they came up to him. In verses four through eight in chapter 45, it basically, it's him saying that what you, what you, God did this. He brought me here for the sake of many to survive. And he realized, looking back on all that happened that brought him into slavery, that God was up to something. Again, the character and wisdom gained in prison is on display. Joseph finally saw the full picture and he understood the value of the process and the waiting. How are you guys doing? Um, Brushing past some stuff for the sake of time, but the part two of this would be the practical application of everything that we just read. Like it ended real quick in chapter 50, it ended well. Joseph, he, it ended with him saying what you meant for evil, God intended for good. I'm gonna take care of your family. I've got you. I've got your kids. I've got you. And it says he spoke kind words to them. So I long to, to not only finish well, but I think, I mean, the, we've got to wait well. We've got to wait well, like right now. Um, real quick, the, the application of it, I'm gonna talk about a few things. There was pers- perseverance and in and, and Romans, it talks about not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can enter into our waiting with hope and expectation that God's not leading us into a slaughter or leading, leading us into nothing. Like he's got a plan and there is hope in that. And we will have the perseverance, the character, the endurance if we just say yes to the process. Be present where you guys are. Like I said, I'm, I've been working for U.S. Bank for five years. And if you would have ever told me that I was going to work at a bank, I would have laughed at you. And, and I, I mean, when Dira got over here from England, green card in hand now, I was making $10 an hour at Starbucks, 
barely putting food on the table. I'm like, God, this ain't working. So I start like trying to control the situation. I'm like, well, military is a really easy way out because yet I'm giving my life to something, but at the same time, my family is provided for. So like I was going through all these thoughts. And so through my wife's wisdom, she said, just wait, hold up, pray and wait for the Lord to show you something. And then through the rest, like this 10 days of like laying the fleece down showed me through a lot of different circumstances that I was supposed to go to the bank and work there. I got hired there. I mean, I've got no college degree and no banking experience. So I don't know why and how that happened other than the Lord wanted it to. And the wisdom that I've gained there and like came from, you know, baby banker to almost getting fired, really close to getting fired. And that day, I remember I touched like the door handle of my car and the Lord said, you're going to be manager one day. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, no, I'm like, like, this is the day that I just got reamed by all my higher ups. So it, and And so that just shows like there is success and there is favor in the waiting, in the prison, in the moment that doesn't look like you're achieving what you've been made for. If you just step in, in those moments, just like Joseph, and now I'm managing two branches right at the moment. I don't like it. I still don't want to be there, but I'm still having success. And, and it's just because like I've chose finally to be active in the waiting. I did a whole lot of like angrily walking through from age 22 till whenever, but like, if you just give him your yes, just like Joseph did, he, he will carry you through and, 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 and let you succeed in moments that it doesn't look like, you know, you are gonna succeed. Um, gosh, so much to say. Um, going into this last little bit here, and I thank you guys for hanging with me. Um, I want to talk about four pitfalls and in being a dad and the story that we just read, that's really funny to me because Joseph in the pit and that, okay, it's a lame dad joke. I get it. I understand. I love it when you commit to dad jokes. It's just happier that way. Um, in all the naysayers, you can just, you know, go somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> pitfalls to avoid. And when I say these, it's because I have fallen into all of them. Okay. It's not me just saying, oh, the, the, you know, do this. Of course, I have never done this, but I've, fell in, I've fall in, fallen into all of these things that I'm about to tell you. Um, so when you're in the waiting, the pitfalls to avoid. First one, if you're writing notes or whatever, avoid seemingly good things or trying to manipulate or take control of your waiting and your current circumstances. It robs us of our time and it, and it derails us not destroys us because God can put us back on the tracks whenever we want him to, whenever we let him do that. But seemingly good things will rob you of the path that you're supposed to be on. And real quick, just a personal story of this. Before, it was in the immigration craziness of, of Dara getting her green card and she was here um, for a time visiting before she had to go back to England. I was working at a janitor, as a janitor at a church here in Knoxville. And um, after a while working there, he came up to me and he approached me and said, hey, I would like for you and your wife to be our new campus pastors. And we're gonna plan a campus downtown Knoxville. And I'm like, well, that's 
different than what I'm doing now. Um, that's awesome. And this is a very, it's a big church here in Knoxville. And so like, I mean, everything would have been covered, insurance, blah, 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 all the things. It looked really comfortable, really convenient. I wanted to lead and, and minister in that way and for a long time. Um, but you know, in my desire to take care of my family and to, to do the things that I felt called to, me and Dara prayed and I said yes to that. I told him in his office a week later that I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll commit to that. Looking back on it, was I supposed to say yes to that? Was I supposed to fight for Africa? Was I supposed to go back to Africa? I don't know. I, I can tell you that I probably shouldn't have said yes to that, even though it looked really good. It looked awesome, but it, but it ended up not even happening because bureaucracy and the right approvals weren't, weren't received before he came to me. And so like I said yes to something that completely derailed us and then it didn't even happen. So I was derailed and kicked off the cliff because I agreed to a seemingly good thing. Convenience, monetary security, personal gain, my pride. Like what could my life have looked like if we said yes to Africa again? Like I was scared to say yes to that. In April, when our son was born, our very house in Africa was flooded and bandits ravaged the whole place. So like, I, I mean, that would have sucked, but what if I had said yes to that? Would, have, would, the, would the weather have done that? Probably not. Would the Lord have let us be destroyed by bandits? Probably not. I mean, it would have been maybe hard. I might've met a bandit or two, but like he would have carried us through that more importantly. And I don't know what that could have looked like, but I'm not, I'm here now saying like, I can't spend my time trying to figure out how I could have made it out of that failure. And so like when things happen, guys, like we've got to say no to seemingly good things. And we have to be, we have to get our decisions made by listening to him and not our circumstances. We've got to stop keeping up with the Joneses. We've got to stop keeping up with the Joneses, okay? We have to stop making decisions based off on money, convenience, pride, and personal gain. We're called to seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of our neighbor, okay? Like all of those things that we desire will be provided to us if we seek first the kingdom of God. He is there, he has provided for me before, but like the times that I've made decisions, trying to get all those securities and all the things and all the stuff, like it hasn't, most of the time hasn't gone well if that's where my decision was based out of. And remember, I have fallen, fall, I've fallen into all of these holes. So I'm not just, you know, I'm with it. I'm here with you right now. The next point, the next pitfall to avoid is habitual sin, okay? If you, that is you and that's where you find yourself, first of all, you're not alone. So don't feel any judgment or condemnation, but the Bible calls us to confess our sin, seek help of the righteous man, in the gospel, or in the New Testament, it talks about that and receive grace and freedom that has been given to you. You don't have to stay there. And it's okay that you find yourself there. And there's people in the church that are here for you to help you get out of that. So that's a pitfall, habitual sin. 
Next pitfall, not enough counsel. Okay, throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon talks about succeeding with an abundance of counselors. Um, There's also, and I'll jump to the next point, and there's also the pitfall of the wrong counsel. So Proverbs says that the, the counsel of the wicked leads to deceit. So if we don't have enough counsel, we're making decisions by the seat of our pants and we're just like, sure, this is great. This is awesome. I feel like God said this. I'm not really connected to community, but I'm going to keep making decisions and hope I land on something. Like that doesn't work. It doesn't work being a lone wolf. We're not called to that lifestyle. And, and if, like, if you don't have people with you and you're trying to reach your dreams, it's not going to work. It's, it won't work. You're going to be, you're going to be burnt out really quick and you don't have anybody around you. So then, like I said, the last point of that was the wrong counsel. So I kind of joked about Joseph kind of going to his brothers, but like, not that they were wicked, but the wrong counsel can sometimes mean our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like if I, I mean, I've heard a lot of naysayers through all the crazy things that I've been through. Like, there's people that seem, that mean well, but they're, they might, they may say, oh, you're crazy. Like, oh, there's not security in that. Reason gets involved and they start thinking with their earthly mentality more than like what God is saying. So it's important that you let the Lord highlight who you're supposed to share things to and who you're supposed to give insight to your life because whoever you allow to have that insight, God will give them oversight to speak into your life. That's why we have to have counsel, but we also have to have the right counsel. Like, don't just, you know, go blurt it out like Joseph did. And then, you know, it didn't work out well for him, but eventually it did because he he said yes to the Lord. So I know that was a lot. I know that that was fast, but I want to leave you guys with that there is grace that covers it all, no matter where you're at in the moment. It saves us and it qualifies us. Jesus is right here waiting for you to allow him in. Like once we slow down, we bow down, we get low. That's where dreams are found. That's where promises are fulfilled. Like that's where we get it all is on our knees, slowing down, not trying to run in the muck and the mire and, but just slowing down and stopping and standing. I mean, we sang about it. Like I'm a child of God. Like I choose to stand and like all that stuff. Um, Alex, you want to come on up here? Um, I, want, I want to just provide just the time for us to, to step in and hear what the Lord's saying to you individually. Um, so I'm going to be down here with Dira and the prayer team's going to be up down here too. And I want to open this up for you guys. If you are in the moment of where you need breakthrough, or if you find yourself in a pitfall, or if whatever, regarding your dreams, like, like today's the day. Today's the day to say yes to him and choose the giver above that so you can walk in the promise and walk in fulfillness and, for, and, and fullness. Um, because the point is not the dream. The point is relationship with him, the king. That's the point. It took me till 2018 to say yes to that because I was so focused on what he told me to do versus who he is. So I encourage you guys to say yes to him 
and, and, and let's, let's get real with him this morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start us off in prayer. They're going to sing a song, and um, I invite you guys to let today be that day, that you say yes to the giver and not the, not the things that you're called to. He'll carry you through, and you will walk in the promise. I promise. <laughs> um, Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I know that was a lot, and, and I just pray that your, your love and your voice of truth comes in this place right now, that, that each individual in this place would, would choose you above what they're called to, because you're the person who sees it through anyway. God, I thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you that you never, never leave us and you never forsake us. So God, would you move on hearts this morning and just, and just bring us closer to you? We love you, Jesus. You guys, won't you come?